Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for your faithfulness. Many of you have come by this week and some have mailed in your tithes and your special offerings. We'll have more to say about that a little bit later on. We'll have our prayer requests a little bit later on, our praises and testimonies about the blessings of the Lord. I want you to take your Bibles with me tonight. and We are going to turn to the book of Galatians where we have been for some time on Wednesday evening. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians to the Christians of a region called Galatia in those days. It was southern Turkey and Asia Minor, it was also called. And these folks had begun well. They had started out believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They were organized into local New Testament churches just like our church. But then someone came along and tried to mess it all up. They might have thought they were right, but they taught wrong doctrine. They taught heresy that you have to become a Jew and follow Jewish ritual before you can become a Christian. These people, these poor folks got confused. And so the Apostle Paul was writing to tell them the truth. And sometimes even the person who tells you the truth gets rejected. You ever have that happen to you? Come on. Ever have somebody that you tried to help out turn on you and say, oh, you're just trying to, you're just trying to set me straight or make yourself uh, uh, to be domineering or to be superior to me instead of taking it as it was intended? Well, the Apostle Paul intended to help them out. And so in Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, please follow as I read, beginning at verse 6, where it says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of, his, of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now let's go back for just a moment and define some terms. And let's find out exactly, precisely what the Spirit of God is saying through the inspired pen of Paul the Apostle. How many of you believe that this Bible is inspired? I believe there are no mistakes in it. I believe that God wants us to obey it as we so often declare out loud as a group. I still believe that's true. I believe that every single word in this book is divinely inspired and preserved. And I believe God wants us to <coughs> obey it as He gives us the wherewithal. Now, in order to do that, we've got to have right preachers. We've got to have right teachers. You can't have just anybody or anything. Now, you wouldn't want to drive a car that didn't work all the time, would you, Madeline? You wouldn't want to drive a car that was busted and broken down. I, I have a Timothy in a faraway state. Uh, before he got saved, he had a lot of money. And uh, that's not to say that since he's been saved, he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't, but that's not connected. Anyway, before he got saved, he had a lot of money. And he had a very expensive car that cost many thousands of dollars. But it never ran right. And God was trying to get his attention. And his dad, who was a God-fearing man, would come by all the time while his son was 
under the hood trying to make that expensive sports car run. And he'd just shake his head and say, God's trying to say something. God's trying to talk to you. And now you know why your car doesn't run. <laughs> Amen. But, uh, you know, you wouldn't want a car that didn't run right. You wouldn't want a car that makes you have it in the shop all the time and you're always worried about if you're going to get from point A to point B. And uh, you wouldn't want to have appliances that break down all the time. And that's why uh, we want to be careful uh, about the tools we use, about the things that we have in our life. We want them to work. Well, we want to make sure that the teacher who is teaching us the truth is teaching us the right way and is helping us to apply the truth. That's why you want a pastor or a preacher or a teacher who stands up and says it correctly according to the Word of God, but then makes correct application or at least enables us to, to use what God has given us. These are the tools that enable us to rightly apply the Word of God. The Word of God will do this lost world no good unless we as believers apply the truth. So it says, Let him that is taught in the Word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. If you've got a teacher or a preacher, or you've got a, a set of commentaries that are right on, then you ought to thank God every day for that. So many people in this world don't have the luxury of the truth so readily available as we have it today. Praise God. I know there's a lot of error out there, but praise God, if you've been brought up in a right teaching, right preaching atmosphere, if you've been uh, given the privilege of having that, why, that's a luxury by uh, contrast with so many who have nothing of that. So praise the Lord. So if you've got good things, right things that you've been taught, you ought to praise the Lord. So you're the one that's spoken of then. I'm the one that's spoken of. I have a goodly heritage, as the psalmist says. Let him that is taught in the Word. That's me. That's you. We're taught in the Word. The, the primary job of the pastor is to feed the flock of God. Are you with me? Feed the flock of God. Now, the pastor may be evangelistic in style. There may be souls that get saved. But being evangelistic in style is not the primary calling. Uh, soul winning is something every believer ought to do, not just the pastor. But the pastor's specific job is to lovingly lead the flock and to feed them. That's it. Lovingly lead the flock and feed them. We can't be short-tempered. We have to be patient. We have to be long-suffering. And we get lots of experience at that, so praise the Lord. So if you've been taught in the Word... You're to communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, the word communicate refers to the big picture of being supportive, being financially supportive, and I'm well cared for. I'm not asking for money tonight. But anybody who is your pastor, your teacher, your preacher should be cared for. In other words, he takes care of the sheep in the place of the great shepherd, and the sheep provide for the shepherd, the under-shepherd, who is... There, so communicate. Communicate means also fellowship. It means encourage. I'm very thankful. I appreciate as much, if not more so, the prayers and the supportive words and the commendations and the loyalty of my people uh, more than the paychecks. I appreciate that. And every pastor that I know that's worth his salt would say the same thing. Why, you can, if you're, if you're, 
anybody at all worth anything at all. You can go out and get a job and you can put food on the table somehow, somewhere, some, somehow. But to be a pastor is an office. It's a calling of God. And, uh, and so therefore, you give yourself completely to that. You don't run side businesses and eat up your time doing non-essential things, but you minister to the flock. And for that reason, those that are taught ought to communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, this is the, this is the, the intent of the uh, entire passage. So, the, the context of the verses here and those which follow have to do with communicating unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now, think about this. I've seen the following verses preached in many ways, and I'm sure legitimately but how many times have you heard a message on be not deceived? God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. And then they stop right there and preach a, a message filled with negatives on how if you do this, you're going to have this horrible consequence. If you do this, you'll have this terrible thing happen to you. If you do this, well, you'll end up in you know, horrible, horrific uh, circumstances and situations and so on. So that's, that's usually the way it's preached. But the context is what? communicating unto him that teacheth in all good things. Now go on. Verse number 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. That's the negative. But the positive. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. You see, the preacher, the teacher, is accountable to God. He's accountable to the great, good, and kind shepherd for how he shepherds the flock. This is the context. And then it goes on. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Tonight I'm speaking on the subject, we shall reap. And so as a pastor and all those who are an extension of this pulpit ministry in your ministries, all those that teach classes and lead ministries and work in ministries and serve in some way and, and they... Some teach and some do other things and they have helps ministries and so on and so forth. Everybody who's, who is on the same page and going the same direction is part of this. We are going to reap. It is a team effort. It is a group uh, activity and event and uh, effort on our part. And we will reap what we're sowing if we faint not. If we don't stop short. If we keep on keeping on. If we'll be true... Precious Jesus, if we'll go through precious Jesus like we sang tonight. Let's pray. Father, fill me now with the Spirit. I pray that in the minutes that remain, we may cover this in a way that will be so practical that everyone will say that's exactly what you intended for them to hear, understand, and to apply. We pray this now for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Over in 1 Timothy and chapter 5 and verse 18, the Apostle Paul quotes the Old Testament and he says, don't muzzle the ox that treads out the corn, the grain. And there's a very, very clear illustration. Uh, in Bible times, you would, uh, you would use a, an oxen or uh, a beast of burden and uh, the ox would, uh, would be attached by a yoke uh, to a center pole that would be in turn attached uh, to a, um, the middle of a grinding wheel, uh, which would sit on another stone. 
and corn or grain would be thrown between the wheels. And as the ox would circle, he would, by his physical labor, grind the uh, corn or the wheat or the grain so that it could be used as flour. And uh, it, was, it, was, it was modern mechanization. It was agricultural. It, it worked, and they got their flour, and they were able to make their cakes and, and so forth. Uh, but whenever this would happen, there would be some things that would fall. It would fall. And uh, it's understood that because it falls on the ground, now it's not going to end up in the mix. It's just on the ground. And so that ox coming around sees there's, there's lunch, you know, there's a snack, there's dinner, and would stop and, and would eat the grain or the corn that had fallen over and was not going to be part of the flour, and that's just part of it. But if they didn't want that, if they were real cheap or chintzy, they would put a muzzle on the ox, and the ox wouldn't get the benefit of that which had fallen over. So that's the picture. The picture of, now I don't like to picture myself as an ox, but an ox is a hard-working beast. It's a hard-working beast. And the ox, you know, doesn't have to, doesn't have a lot of creative scenery. Just goes in circles, all right, in this case. Just goes in circles. But has to do that steady work, has to keep at it. And if you've known a preacher or teacher of the Word of God over the years, you know that there are certain characteristics that are similar in that they're, they're gent or they keep at it, they don't quit, they keep going, they might work hard, might, might work long hours or whatever the case may be. Don't muzzle the ox. The ox uh, should, uh, for example, uh, a young preacher takes a ministry that's small, new, fledgling, or it's been through some things, it's almost completely wasted away. A new young preacher takes it and uh, they say, we can only pay you, and we're talking about not enough to live on. So he's got to be bivocational. I used to tell all of my preacher boys in my institute classes uh, to learn how to be a bivocational preacher. And there were many practical reasons for that. But uh, let's say a young preacher becomes bivocational. He's not paid a full-time salary uh, because of the newness of the ministry or perhaps because of what it's been through. But there should be an understanding that as that young preacher, or maybe a retiree, maybe somebody that's already got you know, Social Security coming in or retirement or whatever, and they're, only, they're not working for a full salary, they're not getting paid by the church as, uh, as they would if it were a larger work. As that ministry grows, so should the amount that's provided for the pastor. In that case, that's just understood. Now, I'm not speaking in my own behalf, but I'm speaking in behalf of scores and scores of preachers that I know out here that uh, there may be some of you watching and there may be some of your people watching, but that's not the first thing that people think about when they get up in the morning, the last thing they think about at night. So I need to remind folks that we need to take care of God's men. We need to make sure that they're cared for and as, as, uh, as the church grows, the first bill that should be assumed by the congregation is the care and feeding of the pastor. Pastor and his family need to be cared for first. You say, well, what about the light bill? What about the heat? What about the mortgage and so forth? No church should, uh, uh, should get engaged in paying for those kinds of bills until they have uh, secured the position of their pastor and make sure they're taking care 
of the man of God. So I'm speaking to all the mission churches out here. I'm speaking to all the young preachers. And I'm saying uh, that needs to be cared for. Now, I sound a little bit uh, like uh, perhaps uh, a hypocrite in this respect because there have been times when I have employed the Winnegar methodology or the Winnegar doctrine, which is all the bills get paid before the preacher gets paid. And when there have been lean times, that has been the case. But that I'm not recommending that for the churches out there. What I'm saying is the Bible says don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. That's, that's the principle that's here. So it is reasonable for us to want, to, what's the motivation? To invest in the ministry. God will bless the ministry where God's people are taking care of God's man. That's the principle. God's going to bless that ministry. It's going to experience growth. They in turn are going to reach more souls. You see how that works? And so we need to take care uh, of uh, the one who has taught, the one who has taken care of us. All right. So this is important for us to understand that the context here is of taking care of that individual. And I remember through the years those who have been used by God in my life, and I've appreciated them, and I've tried to show kindness, and I've tried to provide for them. And every time in our ministries where we've been, when we've had certain preachers in, we try to raise a larger love offering each time. We have tried to be a church, and I've tried to lead the church by example to make sure we always give large love offerings and care for our special speakers, our missionaries, and others. This is important. We're, we're supposed to remember our teachers, those who teach us, those who help us, because we, the learners, have been benefited by them. We need to be present when the teacher teaches. How many of you have ever had a favorite class in school? And uh, you couldn't care less if you missed the other classes, but you wanted to be in Mr. So-and-so's class. You just enjoyed Mr. So-and-so's teaching, or Miss So-and-so, or Mrs. So-and-so's class. You just really wanted to be there. How many of you can remember being in a situation like that. Yeah, and so if school has its mixed blessings. You want to be in the teacher's uh, classes where you enjoy the teacher. And it's true. In Bible college, it was the same thing. There were Bible college classes. I am confessing to you tonight, I took those classes because they were required for the degree program. I had not one bit of interest. I tried to develop it. I tried to show myself faithful. I tried to get interested, but I tried very hard, and in some cases it was in vain. But then there were some classes I enjoyed. Dr. M. James Hollywood, I mentioned him before. He had been, before he got saved, he was the head of the New York State uh, uh, National Socialist Party. That's the Nazis. He, was, he, was, he had advanced degrees before he got saved. And then after he got saved, God wonderfully used him. He went on and got two more doctorates. And he was a teacher in Bible college. And he, he taught philosophy and psychology and contemporary events. And I sat in the front row. In those days, he didn't assign seats. You just sat wherever you wanted to. And he was so deep. Sometimes I felt, you know, it was a challenge. to. It was kind of like if you've ever read Oswald Chambers. It was kind of like going to class with Oswald Chambers every single day. Dr. M. James Hollywood would say, and, and now as Schaefer, and Schaefer had just written The God Who Is There. He had just written it that year. So we had a textbook, The God Who Is There. 
fresh off the press by Dr. Schaefer. And uh, I, I would listen with rapt attention. And he, he talked about the monolith. And he talked about different things. And I know there were students in the back of that class who did not have a clue what he was talking about. But I got it. I understood what he was talking about. I enjoyed it. And I realized that most of what we talked about in that class would, would never re reappear again in a pulpit just because it would be somewhere, you know, where it would not apply necessarily to everyone. But it is stimulating. It is good. And I enjoyed, I would go to school. If he were the only teacher, I would go to school. And, um, and th that's the relationship we had. We have a mutual responsibility with the pastors, the evangelists, the missionaries, the teachers, the writers who help us to grow in grace. It's a mutual responsibility to show up, to listen, to learn, to apply it. We have a responsibility. You know, somebody, somebody really put their life, their, their effort, their sweat, if I can just say that, into producing that work to make uh, clearer the truth from the Word of God. And we ought to at least show respect and show up and learn and try to apply it the best way we can in our circumstance. And then, because they've impacted our life, we want to support them. And so I, I paid my college bill. When I read the advertising uh, for the, the full retail price tag on a Bible college education now, I am absolutely amazed. I, I went all the way through school for a fraction of the tuition that you pay for one year now. Just, just a fraction of it. I'm not even going to tell you how much it was the first year I went to Bible college. But back in 1967, I'll just say this. The amount of tuition that I paid to go to Bible college for an entire nine-month year, that first year, was less, was less than you would pay to rent a room in Woodbridge for one month to live in. That's how little I paid in tuition. And yet, I wouldn't take a million dollars for the lessons learned and the things that I took in from the teachers that had my attention. And I've tried through the years to apply things that I learned in freshman classes. I learned in, in a freshman class I had as an elective. Uh, actually, it was numbered as a second-year course, but it was philosophy of youth ministry. And I have applied philosophy of youth ministry all these many years. Uh, we could go down the line on the different things that we learned in various classes. And I can tell you right now, going all the way back, things that I learned. I paid my bill, as meager as it was, I paid my bill and I paid it on time. And when we got through year number four, we were married in my fourth year of Bible college and the, the price was now about double what it was when I started out for the entire year. But even though we were newly married, I was pastoring a church and I was finishing up my Bible education. I paid all my bills on time. Why? Because I saw it as a stewardship to those who were investing in my life and my ministry. And for every soul 
that is touched and every life that is changed as a result of this ministry, I owe something. I owe something to those men and those women who stood up and taught us in class the things that have made us what we are today and what this ministry is today. You, you owe your, all the pastors, all the teachers who have taught you for all the good things that have been put into them. Don't forget that. What's been sown will be reaped. The good and the bad, both. Paul is saying, those guys that came along and taught wrong, they're going to reap. And that's going to, that's going to have a certain effect. That's going to have an impact down the line. It's going to come back. It's going to come back. Now, verse number 9 is very important. I want you to get this. Because it says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. We shall reap. We're always sowing seeds. And it's going to come back if we don't quit, if we don't give up. It's going to come back. I would say for the person that's sowing bad seeds, it's time to repent, turn around and pray and ask God for crop failure. Now, I don't know that that'll happen, but that's certainly something we need to pray about. We are commanded not to get discouraged. Let us not be weary in well-doing. We are commanded not to get down. We are commanded not to park it there and to feel sorry for ourselves and have a one-man, one-woman pity party. Let's not be discouraged in doing good. That's the essence of what Paul is saying here. Don't get discouraged about doing good. For, for eventually, that crop is going to come up. If you've been sowing to the Spirit, it's going to come up. It's going to be right. It's going to be exactly what it's supposed to be. And then it says this. And I want us to understand, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Here you got two classes of people, to all men. As a general rule, our demeanor should be one that is optimistic and positive and helpful, and we should be the Good Samaritan, and we should be kind-hearted, and we should be generous, and we should be the kind of folks that down in the country they call good people. I know that we're all sinners. I know that we're all flawed. But there comes a point when we can't pull out that card and play it all the time. Well, you know me, I'm just a sinner. I'm totally corrupt. I'm, I'm depraved. You know, you know that. I don't do any good. Here, the Lord is telling us through the inspired pen of Paul, whenever we have an open door of opportunity, we should do good. To all people, to all men, we should do good. When you drove up today, you saw a cover over an object out here with a bunch of orange cones around it. And you say, what's that? Well, a fella had an incident with his motorcycle and he ended up having to park it out there until the insurance company could come take a look at it. And uh, I was walking up on these folks and I'd have to say that these people uh, would not be perhaps typical attenders of our church if they lived in this area. But uh, that's, that doesn't mean anything. We shouldn't judge people and, and be, you know, have the judge, jury, and executioner all ready to roll when we walk up to somebody. I walked up with a big smile, and I smiled, and I put my hand out. And he had a, he had a COVID mask on, but a uh, motorcycle rider with a COVID mask, you know. I don't know how he breathes, but uh, he put out, his, put out his hand. I put out my hand. We shook hands. And, and um, I would have to say, 
it's been a long time since I've seen a guy with as many tattoos on him as he had on him. There was not a place on his upper torso where there was not a tattoo. Now, that's not to judge him, but I would just say that's probably not typical of everybody who comes to the church here. And, and uh, she, uh, she was typical in other ways, but, but he, he was different. And I showed what God would want me to show, kindness and compassion. And, I mean, she put her hands up like this. She thought I was going to kick them out. I was walking up and I said, no, 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 no. I'm not here. You're not in trouble. What's the problem? They told me the problem, how the incident had occurred. I said, wow, that could have been deadly. And they were very fortunate, very blessed. And they were making arrangements for, as I said, for the thing to be cared for. It gave me an opportunity to show kindness and to give tracts and offer help. Is there anything we can do? No, there's nothing. The insurance company will be coming. I said, fine, that's good. Well, come on to church. Where do you go to church when you go? To? Well, we don't. Well, why don't you come on to church? Come on to church. And so he said that they might come to church. And so I thought that was, I thought that was a good encounter today. Now, every day, I want you to think back on this week. Every day there are opportunities, opportunities for us to cross paths with people who are broken down, people who are needy, people who need, need some kind of a boost or some kind of a blessing from us. And we have an opportunity at least to show kindness. And when you show kindness, you know what happens next. You have an opportunity to say, listen, here's a smile for you. And you can give them a gospel tract and a witness. And in the course of that encounter, you can do something positive, something good. And who knows what will happen? Who knows? When the fellow broke down out here this past week. And by the way, I don't know if we've got some kind of a mark on this place. But everybody in the world breaks down here. They either have an accident, they get a ticket, an axle or a tire blows out or something. Who knows? But a fellow had a truck and he had a truckload of rock out here. And uh, whoever loaded up the gravel, anybody ever load up a load of gravel in a, in a pull trailer? Sure, sure. Whoever loaded it up put the entire load in the back of the pull trailer, okay, instead of up on the tongue where it needs to be distributed at least more evenly, but all of it was in the back. Well, don't you know, his back tire completely blew out up here, and he made it into the parking lot. You can follow the little groove where, where, his, where his metal wheel dug in, and he pulled, and he was trying to, trying to get it up on the curb to see if he could maybe change, you know, change out, but you're talking about tons and tons of gravel that he was wanting to, to haul. And so he had to wait a long time. Well, while he was there, once again, I'm walking up and he thought he was in trouble. I said, you're not in trouble. And gave him a witness. And anything I can do for you? He says, well, what would you do? I told him what I'd do. I said, the first thing is I wouldn't have left the yard with the gravel piled like it was piled in that thing. I, I would know enough not to haul it that way. But what I would do is I would call for a truck to come and, and get you hoisted up. And, and in the meantime, that shovel you got there, I would get up in there and I would start shoveling it the other direction and move that around, make it easier so when they come and they hoist it. So I gave him a little bit of advice. Now, I had places to be and things to do. 
But it was important, it was very important to take that opportunity, as the scripture says, as many of us, therefore, as we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good unto all men. And then it says, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So when we're sowing and reaping, when we're communicating, uh, when we're teaching and communicating and, and doing all of that that has come before, then we need to make sure that we are looking out for those who are of the household of faith. What kind of an atmosphere do you generate? Is it, is it the kind of atmosphere that is welcoming, positive, encouraging, helpful? Is that what people read in you? That should be our desire. I know if we, if we don't consciously think of that, helping out somebody, and, and maybe some of the folks we help are kind of helpless. They're kind of pitiful. So what do we do? What do we do? Do we pity them? Do we show pity? No. We treat them. We treat them like good folks. We treat them normally. We don't treat them any other way. There you go. So we've got a don't and we've got a do. All right? The don't is don't faint. Because you'll reap. You'll reap. You'll see long-term results. Good things for sowing good seeds, bad things for sowing bad seeds. But don't faint. Keep on going. Don't give up. You ever send a worker out to do a job and they come back and they're just shaking their heads and they're saying, I didn't know that the soil was so hard. I didn't know that it was so dry. I didn't know that the job was so difficult. And they come back and they didn't finish. They didn't complete. Don't faint. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't, uh, don't, just uh, say, that's it, I quit, I give up, here's my resignation. Don't faint in serving, because if you continue, you will reap. And do something, do what? Do, take advantage of an opportunity. Do good to all men, to all people, and do good to those who, be, who, who are of the household of faith. That is to believers. We're responsible to people on all levels, but we are most responsible to our family, aren't we? The Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than a heathen. So take care of your family. Your spiritual family requires love, care, feeding, concern, uh, sometimes burden-bearing, sometimes counseling, praying for, loving them, Encouraging them. We need to love our enemies, yes. We need to love mankind in general, as God loves mankind in general. But we need to show special care for the household of faith. We need to be kind to them and understanding. As a, a rule, we are perhaps a little short with people with whom we are familiar. Aren't we? Sometimes we're a little rough on people that we know very well. And we need to think in terms of, well, they're going through a hard time, a rough time, a difficult time. I need to not be so rough on them. I need to not be so hard on them. And this is where the Lord commends showing mercy. Showing mercy. There have been times in our ministry when I could have fired somebody and I didn't fire them. I showed mercy. And later on, uh, in some cases, it proved to be a wise choice. Had every 
perhaps uh, every reasonable right to fire that individual, but I didn't. And later on, good things came from that. Uh, there have been times when people have not taken their responsibilities seriously, and we give them second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh chance. Now, I sometimes look back and I say, mm, maybe first, second, third, but after that, maybe not. We can always look back and we can reassess. But the fact of the matter is, showing mercy, being long-suffering, being patient, uh, being, being uh, uh, just extra loving with those who need that extra love can make the difference, can make the difference. I'll, I'll never forget hearing the testimony of Robbie Heiner. You know Robbie Heiner, the singer? Ronnie, uh, uh, Robbie Heiner was a young man who, who drove up to Liberty when it was still Lynchburg College. And uh, when he showed up, he, he drove up in an old revamped hearse. That was his car. You know how college kids are. And uh, this was many, many years ago, back in the 70s. And, and he testified many, many times. He, he would say of himself, I was rotten. And, and Brother Jerry Falwell was patient with me. He said, I don't know how many times I got kicked out and got taken back. And was shown kindness and compassion. And today, Robbie Heiner is serving the Lord. And he's doing it faithfully. Somebody knew what kind of compassion and mercy he needed to be shown. And I believe God puts us in close proximity with those who maybe occasionally step over the line. They, they don't do right or they do something that's wrong. Uh, they fail to do what they're told to do. They fail to follow through. They quit. They give up. And so what should we do? We should show kindness, compassion, long-suffering, and mercy as much as God enables us, as God gives us grace, as long as we can. <laughs> I don't want anybody to come up to me after the service and say, you were preaching about me, weren't you? Not at all. Not at all. Over the many years, there have been too many to number. But I'll tell you this. I'm glad somebody showed me mercy. I'm glad somebody showed me compassion. I'm glad somebody didn't give up on me. And for that reason, because the Lord Jesus has been so good to us, we want to be good to them as well. Would you bow your head and close your eyes, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, that message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Come on. Message spoke to my heart. God bless you. Amen. And as we sang a little while ago, I'll be true, precious Jesus. I'll be true. We need to be true. And we need to follow through. And so tonight, if God has spoken to you, and uh, there's anything you want to pray about, there'll be an invitation to Him. If there's any area of your life that needs to be yielded, that's not now yielded, you need to do that. As God speaks to you, you know what's needed in your heart and life. Uh, as it is being offered online, let me offer you the opportunity to receive Christ as Savior. If there's anybody here that's not sure of heaven, or if uh, there's a, a need right now to be saved, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart to God something like this? Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up? Anyone?